Little Theatre of Wilkes-Barre has one, a ghost light. We're told when a rehearsal ends or after the curtain falls on a theatrical performance, the stage manager performs one final ritual before the doors can be closed. The placing of the ghost light on the apron of the stage. The practical reason is to ensure the safety of anyone who needs access to the stage in an otherwise darkened theater. It delineates the edge of the stage from the black void of the orchestra pit or abandoned theater before it. Practicality, however, does not explain why an unadorned light bulb fixed on a pole is referred to by a title implying the presence of something supernatural. In a profession where superstitious traditions are adhered to with fervor, a supernatural reference is not applied lightly. Tradition has it that the ghost light is turned on to keep the theater ghost company overnight. Apparently, when all the lights go out, the ghost thinks it has been abandoned and causes accidents to happen on the set. It seems theater ghosts are capable of wreaking unmitigated havoc should they find themselves ignored. That from Gerald Adair in his article Illuminating the Ghost Light. Perhaps Ebenezer Scrooge should have had a ghost light in his quarters to keep the ghosts at bay, to protect himself from the mayhem they wrought in his life that fateful day and night at Christmas time in London. But Charles Dickens had no intention of protecting Scrooge. In fact, it is only because the ghosts of the past, the present, and the future, and Jacob Marley, arrived that Scrooge was at last freed from the chains binding him to his bahumbug way of life. After we see the show, perhaps we'll want to go home and leave a nightlight on, but that would be a shame. Perhaps somehow the journey Scrooge has taken in A Christmas Carol may seep in one way or another into our inmost selves to stir things up for us this holiday season, and Dickens would approve. And as we'll learn, Kevin Costley has carefully crafted his telling of this tale so that it can be personal to us. Costley has adapted Dickens' classic with composer Ted Anderson, to create a now classic musical for our region. The Little Theatre of Wilkes-Barre has chosen this musical as its holiday production, and we had a chance to speak by phone with Kevin Costley, who not only created the book and lyrics, but who is Ebenezer Scrooge himself. Scott Collin had a Schwab's drugstore moment when, as a lad, he was discovered in a grocery store with his mother and cast as Tiny Tim in a regional production long ago. And that changed his life in a fundamental way. It seems A Christmas Carol can do that to a person. He was bitten by the theater bug back then, and now he is artistic director of the Little Theater and director of this show. Colin begins with what is special about this production. What we have is homegrown talent. We have so much talent here in the Valley anyway, but to have the homegrown lyrics of, of Kevin Costley and the music by Ted Anderson brings a magic to the story that is already very, very, very well known. 
And the, the musical itself, I guess it started with the first iteration back in the late 80s, and then the iteration that we're doing this time started in the late 90s. And so it has gone through rights and rewrites and revisions, and it's basically just, it's, it's perfect. It, it really is. What was the inspiration? Did you just feel that you needed a version and there wasn't one out there that fit the bill? Basically, I found that there were versions that I liked, but I didn't like everything about them. I liked some things of one version and other things of another version, and no published version really hit me the way I wanted it to. It wasn't either structured correctly, in my opinion, or the music wasn't quite right. And so I just decided to uh, take the bull by the horns and make it the way I wanted it. Now, we always hear those stories about Rodgers and Hammerstein and Rodgers and Hart and all of those people who work together. How did you and Ted work this out? Well, Ted and I had done children's shows together where I had written the script and the lyrics and he had done the music. And that was a short children's show with maybe five or six songs. And so we just expanded the technique and made it a two-act musical with, I think that there are over 30 songs now. You began creating this piece decades ago now. What sense have you come to with regard to the journey Scrooge takes? Well, you know, my my take on Scrooge has always been rooted in, in the same premise, that Scrooge just made bad choices. I find that I'm learning as I go through his, his arc at rehearsals and his arc in performances that it, it wasn't so much that he made mistakes, is that he just wasn't listening. All of the lessons were there for him from, from the past and the present, and then when he sees them in the future, all of those arguments were, were already there. It's just that he wasn't listening. And when he's taken back to the past, he finally hears his sister. And he finally hears Isabel, the girl that he wanted to marry. And he realizes that they could have changed his life very early, but he just wasn't listening. It really comes out of that Victorian state of mind that I need to, to not be poor. I, I, I don't like being poor, and so I need to really scrounge and scrimp and save. And Scrooge comes out of that mentality. But he's taught through the three ghostly visits, four if you count Marley, he's taught that money isn't everything. And it's, it, money does not count unless you're allowed to spend it on people that you love and and it's the life worth living that's really important. And Scrooge takes this journey looking at his past and looking at the mistakes he made and then looking at his present and looking at the changes that he can make right now and then looking at his future and seeing where he's headed. And, of course, then Marley is there as the specter of the, the afterlife and saying, this is what I have to look forward to for eternity and Scrooge makes those changes. And there's, there's changes that we all can make right now. Some of them are monetary. Some of them are just being kind and being nicer. And, and I think that Dickens really tells a tale about what's really happening right now in 2021, where, you know, tensions are running high. I mean, people are tired of, of the pandemic, and people are tired of Zoom meetings, and people are tired of, of shortages in the stores, and they're told that they can't go shopping the way they used to, and they're told they can't go to movies the way they used to. And I think that the whole story tells us, do you know what? Just relax. 
and be nice and be kind and don't be such a curmudgeon, I, I think. And that, that, I think that's an important message in today's age. We know there was always the Fezziwigs party and the dancing there, but what does uh, Christmas Carol as a musical bring to us as viewers? Gee, I, I think the nice thing about it is that it's not just the music of real life, you know, the real life situations like the parties and things like that. But you also get to hear what are basically monologues to music. And each one explains either the character or characters that are singing it. Plus the fact that the music I find in this production so diverse. There are fun little numbers and then there are beautiful solos, particularly by the ghosts. Christmas Past sings a song that was actually the last song that we wrote and inserted in the show. When we were doing it in the 90s, Christmas Past didn't have a song, and I always regretted it. So finally, I, I got my mind working, and Ted and I wrote a song for her called Shadows of the Past. And, and I, I just think it, it bridges, it explains what she's there for. And it bridges the gap between Scrooge and his going into the past and what he's subsequently going to see. And speaking of ghosts, then, Scott, how are you handling the otherworldly character of the ghosts? You know, we, we have our traditional theatrical smoke and mirrors, and I think each one of the ghosts handles Scrooge differently, and, and, and we cast it that way on purpose. And so the ghost of Christmas past is uh, a little more like a kind of a kinner to a kindergarten teacher. And she's, she's there to show the lessons and do so in a very positive, reinforcing way, where the ghost of Christmas present is, is happy and jolly, but he can, you know, he can be real. And just like reality is, you know, smacks you in the face sometimes, that's what Christmas present can do. And then we all know the specter that is the ghost of Christmas yet to come and believe me, that is, that is something that you will not want to miss. And you always have wonderful sets at the Little Theater. Well, here's the thing. We have a marvelous, the best set designer in the Valley, Michael Gallagher. And he is refurbishing the set that has always been used for this particular musical, no matter where it's been at Music Box or at Coughlin or where have you. But we're bringing that set and we're reimagining it for the Little Theater stage. Bernard Mulcahy and Matt Williams are actually doing the construction, but Michael Gallagher's wisdom and mind and experience is behind it all, and you can see that, that magic happen. Little Theater is always known for its live music. Will you have musicians there who are not ghosts? That was something that we were adamant upon when, when, uh, when Kevin and Ted and I first sat down to talk about this project. And uh, Little Theater is known for its live music. We don't use tracks. And so to Ted Anderson's credit, he spent most of a year, in fact, a little bit more than a year, transcribing all the music that had been tracked for years and years and years for individual instrument parts. And we're going to have a five-piece orchestra for the first time. Uh, not Maybe not for the first time, but uh, for the first time in many years for this musical. And so we're very proud of that. And so when you say, Kevin, that it's pretty much traditional in a certain sense, then we're in Victorian England? Right. Yeah, it's set in Victorian England as it originally was. The concept of the ghosts are all traditional concepts. Sometimes authors take too many liberties, in my opinion, with the ghosts. <laughs> and yet there are, there are differences with them because I view the ghosts as personas rather than just 
caricatures. I think that each one carries his own his own soul. Share with us, Kevin, what we, what we talked about, if you don't mind, about mm-hmm. um, the ghost of Christmas past and who she is. Well, it's always been my feeling that every person on earth has their own spirit of Christmas past. And the one that's represented in, in A Christmas Carol is Scrooge's Christmas past. She makes her entrance, and Scrooge asks her, is she the, the spirit of the long past? And she says, no, I'm the spirit of your past. So I find it very personal to Scrooge. And I tried to think of what entity was, was the first person in Scrooge's life that passed, passed away. And so I've always felt that Christmas past was his sister fan, now, now become a spirit. Scott, then, when you say you have different ways of casting each of the ghosts than the ghost that is Christmas past, you were thinking, knowing what Kevin has just told us, right? Correct. And, and if, you look at, if you look at Hope, Hope Wright, who is playing the ghost of Christmas past, and you look at Rebecca, who's playing Fan, you can definitely see that it is possible that Hope is an older version of Fan. If you know that, if you're looking for that, you won't see it otherwise. But anybody who's listening to this interview that then comes to see the show will see it. When you think about creating a piece that is full length with music and a huge number of cast members, what are some of the things that are important to you in terms of the rhythm of a particular scene or example to make sure it coheres and that we do take that journey with Scrooge? Well, you know, I am so lucky that not only do I have a great cast, but I have the authors in the room. And, you know, the fact that Kevin is right there and the fact that Ted is right there, we are able to have these conversations like that conversation about fan and about Coast of Christmas Past. And so we're able to put these, these subtle nuances. I think the most important thing to all of us is that we stay true to Dickens. And I think that is the one common theme that we all have. And so, you know, making sure that the costumes are right, making sure that the, the reactions and the way people and people stood differently and people reacted differently and making sure those nuances are there. And, you know, if we can make the audience believe for an hour and a half to two hours that they are in Victorian England, then, then we've done our job. And that's exactly what that's all about. And Kevin, what are your thoughts as you see it come together? It, it moves me every night. I can't detach my, my feelings. And my hardest job is, is actually not to soften Scrooge too early. What would be one of the points where that might happen? Well, the, the end of the first act is a complete, it's a complete tearjerker. Isabel has left Scrooge, and older Scrooge watches himself turn away and not follow her. And Isabel begs him to follow her, and he doesn't. And so the, the end of the first act is a real downer. And a lot of people said, well, why wasn't that enough? And it, it was because by the time Scrooge awakes from that haunting to go into the next one, he somehow has to reharden as if he, he's literally fighting with himself to become what he's supposed to become. But there, there are remnants of, of habit that just keep him from, from changing. Yeah, his heart wasn't open. Yeah, it got, I think he was deaf and blind to what was going on around him. 
we're talking about 60 plus years of bitterness and it's 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 not that easily moved you know i i personally believe it's the relationship with tim with tiny tim we have the the cutest little tiny tim that you could ever ask for but i think it's scrooge's relationship with tim that eventually breaks through that ice and breaks through the the bitterness because um scrooge does not want to let tim succumb to his illness and wants Tim to, to live a, a long, full life as possible. And so while past set the path for that, it's really Tim that, that turns Scrooge away from his, um, his, his previous ways. And it's, and it's the ghost of Christmas present that literally states that point blank in his, his musical number, One Little Boy, where he finally just, just puts it on the line. You know, you've been living your life not looking at anybody. Everybody is a non-entity to Scrooge until this one little boy. Kevin Costley, who created the book and lyrics and who portrays Ebenezer Scrooge in the musical A Christmas Carol, Scott Collin, the artistic director of the Little Theater of Wilkes-Barre and director of this production. Speaking about Scrooge and the ghosts and Tiny Tim and this special musical that will open tonight at the Little Theatre of Wilkes-Barre as the holiday production 2021 of the Little Theatre now marking its 100th anniversary season. There will be shows December 10th, 11th, 17th and 18th at 8 o'clock each evening and again matinees on Sundays, December 12th and 19th at 3 o'clock. The Little Theatre of Wilkes-Barre is located at 537 North Main Street in Wilkes-Barre. And for more information on the web, ltwb.org. ltwb.org. A Christmas Carol, adapted from Charles Dickens' tale. Music by Ted Anderson, book and lyrics by Kevin Costley. Directed here by the artistic director of the Little Theatre of Wilkes-Barre, Scott Cullen, and featuring Kevin Costley as Ebenezer Scrooge. December 10th, 11th, 17th, and 18th at 8 p.m. And December 12th and 19th, Sunday afternoons at 3. The Little Theatre of Wilkes-Barre, 537 North Main Street in Wilkes-Barre. For more information, on the web, ltwb.org.